The scripture that you just heard read is addressed to the leaders of the temple, the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were concerned with moral obligations and the preservation of the temple. You might say that they were good and faithful churchgoers, just like you and me. But Jesus implicates them through the telling of a series of parables, the story of the tenants in the vineyard being one of them, making it clear through metaphor and story that they are in trouble. And why? Well, the story points it out. Jesus indicates that they were greedy, murderous thieves, not exactly the sort of thing anyone would want to be accused of, especially in church. But Jesus is concerned not only with the religious leaders of his day, he's also concerned with those not being treated fairly, those on the margins, those overlooked, those pushed aside by the religious elite. He's angry with those responsible for the abuse, and he makes no bones about it. The kingdom of God will be taken from them. They're to be punished for losing sight of what was most important, bearing fruit in the world. And what does it look like to bear fruit? Put simply and in biblical terms, it is to love neighbor as self. It's that simple and it's that hard. Our egos continually get in the way of that goal. We see it right here with the chief priests and the Pharisees. They get defensive, they fight back. In true human fashion, they turn everything right back on Jesus, scapegoating him for their own offenses. He's accusing them of wrongdoing, but rather than take a good hard look in the mirror, they accuse him instead. I'm reminded of other biblical stories, in particular, David and his lust for Bathsheba. Do you remember that? Nathan is sent by God to tell David the story of the rich man who had plenty of sheep, but out of greed and envy, he steals the only sheep that the poor man next to him had and takes it as his own. David finds the story despicable, and he says that that man must die. He's then famously told by Nathan that he is the man. David is remorseful. He grieves his misconduct and he prays for forgiveness. Can we see ourselves in the story too? Can we imagine being tenants of the vineyard without casting blame, without taking offense or without fighting back? Jesus calls those with ears to hear out, or maybe more appropriately, in. He calls us in to the work of justice and God's righteousness. What's missing in our story for today is a little humility and remorse on the part of the chief priests and Pharisees. They see that Jesus is accusing them, and rather than ask, could he be right, they simply get angry and make plans to get even. They don't believe him or trust him. Instead, they want to eliminate him. What if instead they had expressed regret and committed themselves to living differently, at least trying to live differently? They would have been spared, if not the embarrassment, certainly the displacement. New tenants for the vineyard wouldn't have been needed. The vineyard is not destroyed in this story. The tenants are, and they are replaced but the vineyard, the source of the harvest, is left intact, a metaphor in this case for the kingdom of God. God remains faithful and must look for another way to fulfill God's plan. That's what Jesus is pointing out here. He doesn't blame anyone. 
He isn't belligerent. He simply tells a story and the listeners find themselves in it. But rather than change their ways, their reaction turns the story into a self-fulfilling prophecy. The chief priests and the Pharisees implicate themselves. What's the landowner to do with tenants who kill the son? Much like David, their reply is, they are to be killed. The leaders pronounce their own penalty. And unlike David, though, they fail to see the error of their own ways. Some say that the church today has lost its way, that it has become irrelevant, that it no longer has an impact on the world as it should. Quite frankly, in many cases, it's easy to be critical of the church for being too insular, preoccupied with self-preservation and comfort, rather than with seeking justice and loving kindness and walking humbly. Like the chief priests and Pharisees, we can lose sight of what really matters. That may be one of the reasons we don't see the church at the forefront of the current movement for racial justice. There are lots of reasons, but this could be one of them. Could it be that we've lost our way? I've heard stories of good church-going people saying things like, racism is bad, but there's nothing that I can do about it, or it's not my responsibility. There is clearly a lack of awareness among white people, even in the church, that they have agency and influence to help bring about an end to racism. The residential community here at Richmond Hill is reading best-selling author Dr. Abram X. Kendi's book, How to Be an Anti-Racist. Kendi makes it clear that racism happens on a continuum. One moment we can function in racist ways, supporting racist policies or making racist comments. The next we can behave in anti-racist ways, addressing systemic issues, standing up against racist remarks and behaviors. And he makes it clear that to be race neutral or to do nothing about race is to be complicit with the injustice, the inequities, and the hierarchies that value certain lives over others. For the white church to not take a stand now, to not re-educate itself on race, to not advocate for those impacted disproportionately because of the color of their skin, to not reevaluate its own racist practices, is to continue to be a part of the problem of racism in this society. We are like the tenants in the story who abused the workers and selfishly ignored the landowner. The kingdom of God will be taken from us. At Richmond Hill, we're committed to racial healing and to trying to right the wrongs of our racial past. The recent racial unrest and pressure for change has pushed us, too, to do better, to do more, to not rest on our laurels. We know we have to try again today to not let our mistakes deter us from doing better. We can do what the chief priests and Pharisees were unwilling to do. We can repent of our mistakes and missteps and seek to repair the brokenness that we've caused. Jesus gives us another chance. The question is, are we humble enough to accept it and faithful enough to respond in love? A vineyard that bears fruit is a vineyard where all people are treated with respect and where no individual is valued above any other where all are truly honored as created in God's image. 
We've all got work to do if we're not going to fall into the trap that the chief priests and the Pharisees fell into, tending to the wrong things, ignoring the real problems, blaming someone else for our own shortcomings. All of it falls short of the glory of God. Faithful engagement in the world is needed now. It's not too late for us to be faithful stewards of the vineyard. With God's help, let us commit ourselves again to loving neighbor as self and to producing fruit for the kingdom of God.